Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Hey, Devin, good to chat on this lovely Friday. It is, it is. We just wrapped up our virtual event yesterday. I am in my favorite hoodie, complete casual Friday vibes at the Reed Residence. I love it. So, you know, these days as a team, we've been talking a lot about uh, customer marketing and how we can specifically cater our content and our messaging and really hone in on our existing customer base, which I think is a topic that a lot of companies are discussing these days, given the current macro environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Given that, we thought it would be perfect to bring in somebody who has focused their career on the existing customer base and ensuring customers are happy and successful and thriving. And in that light, we were introduced to MJ McCarthy, um, who's the VP of Account Management at Everbridge. And I really loved our conversation today because it was just so timely. It was. It was. I mean, retention is is all the rage right now, right? <laughs> and uh, I say it kiddingly, but it really is, and it's it's become a, a focus. From you know, we've talked to Nick Meta at Gainsight, you know, CEO over there, and he said it too. Is you know, obviously he's big on CS, but customer retention, trying to find opportunities for upsell, is is really really top of mind. And so I, I couldn't help but take her mantra, keeping customers for life, and, and making it the episode title today, because that's that's what we talk about. And what's really cool is she shares her strategy. But she also took a couple pages out of like her actual account management playbook and, and shares, you know, things like what not to do, um, things that you should do, how to talk to procurement, how to make sure you have a true champion. So this was a really, really good conversation and just packed with insights and, and things that our listeners can take and do today. One hundred percent. And I think there's, of course, lessons in here for account managers and CSMs, but there's definitely um, aspects of this that even uh new business sellers can take into into their world as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what we start the conversation with is, you know, there's new business and post sales. And are they alike? Are they very different? Uh, she kind of lays it out having done both in her career. And, and also, I think in general, for high growth startups, we're so focused on growth at all costs and winning new clients. And it's so critical. And this environment has almost had us has forced us to take a step back and, and really, really double down on our existing customer base. So, uh, you know, this episode is full of, a, uh, full of a lot of great insights and hope you all enjoy this conversation with MJ. Well, hey, MJ, thank you for hanging out with us today. How's your Friday going so far? It's going great, Devin. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. And we're excited. MJ shared with us, this is her first podcast. No pressure at all. It's going to be very casual. <laughs> uh, well, cool. We'd like to start with little icebreakers, a little bit about you. And looking at your career, you've, you've kind of, you've done it all. You've been a direct seller, you spent some time in business development, and then ended up in account management. So I'm curious, how did the skills vary or maybe overlap from the new business world to the account management world? And 
ultimately what motivated you to join account management? Well, one of my favorite questions, because I think the two feed very closely off of each other. I think in my opinion, and really based on my personal experience as an individual contributor, as well as having led sales and account management teams now for the past 12 years or so, I think a foundation of pure hunting sales benefits any role really that anyone's going to do in their career. I think learning to be crisp and articulate with a value proposition, learning how to deal with rejection, learning how to be creative and getting to really through to all levels of people within an organization, all of that comes when you, and it's really what you learn in a hunting role. And I think it sets a person up for success in any customer facing role. And those types of hunting skills carry through to account management and that they are really still needed just in a more subtle way. So like the resilience and communication skills that a person leads or learns in sales come in handy if you're ever trying to save a customer that's at risk, for example, as you know, there's always issues with technology or, you know, things aren't always going well in a customer relationship. So you, so you need that resilience. I think the uh, prospecting skills learned in new business carry through to how you find new opportunities for new products and upsell in your existing customers. So I think, and then all the negotiation skills that you learn in sales carry through to the renewal process of, you know, typically what an account manager's main job is because renewing, especially in SaaS is pretty much selling, you know, <laughs> at the end of that contract, you got to sell it again. I think the biggest variance in skills is that an AM, with an AM, you're in it for the long haul with a customer. And I have a really favorite saying that one of my tenured account managers uh, talked about a, a few years ago, and it's my favorite thing to, to use in this type of question. Um, because then we say the AE sales is often dating the customer, where in an AM, you are married to them. So it's through the yeah. good, the bad, the ups and the downs, you and the, and the customer are linked. And that really speaks to the different skills needed to be able to stay positive through all the hard conversations and be a problem solver and be resilient. And most of all, do what it takes to get the customer what they need. So I think it's, it's that listening to the customer needs and executing for them in that kind of long haul relationship that, that really makes the, the top performing account managers. But it really all starts with that foundation you learn in selling and hunting. And so it was, it was actually at Everbridge where you shifted into account management. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your current team and what your role looks like today? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because at Everbridge is where it was, became a full, you know, client relationship, but it's always been something that I've veered, veered, you know, I've been more comfortable with. And mm -hmm. even my previous jobs had an aspect of, of working with customers as well as prospecting. So today I'm responsible for leading the organization at Everbridge that is ultimately responsible for, we have a tagline, it's keeping our customers for life. And so we do that um, by ensuring our customers are getting constant value out of the Everbridge solution. But we're also driven and measured on driving upsell and cross-sell into the customer base in partnership with sales. We have a very collaborative sales and account management relationship, which is it's taken us a while to get there, but it's um, it's actually works really well. So my team, we focus vertically and by 
uh, customer size and scope, but we try to operationalize what an AM does for customers globally to ensure that consistency across our customer base. And as a team, we're measured ultimately by our gross and retention rates, as well as achieving a, an upsell growth quota. So it's, it's, you know, I have a great team. They've been with, with us for a long time. A lot of my team, you know, has, you know, kind of been through this um, unbelievable growth journey we've been on for the last eight and a half years since I've been there. But um, many of our folks on our team have some either new business or BDR background, but they've really chosen the path of account management because they believe passionately in what Everbridge does and the impact that it has for our customers in meeting their needs. And we've built a pretty good career path even within account management that's helped keep my team pretty consistent and tenured. Could you elaborate a little bit like what does that traditional uh, typical career path look like? So we've got three different, so we've got three different levels of uh, customer facing and account management roles. So we, we call them associate account manager, account manager, and then a senior account manager. And the associate account management role is for the, the, the smaller end of the, you know, smaller size companies. I don't like to necessarily say SMB, but it is that kind of what we call kind of our emerging customers, right? So they typically have a bigger book of smaller customers and it's a more transactional role, but it's where they really learn the ropes of kind of having to do renewals and deal with risk and save customers and upsell customers. And most of my team there has come from the BDR world at Everbridge. So it's even been an internal um, career path, which has been great. Then the next level up is account manager. So they have uh, a little bit uh, smaller book of business, but larger spend or larger potential spend customers. And then my senior AMs have the most experience. Some of those AMs on the team have been, you know, career account managers or, or uh, client relationship type roles. And they handle our um, most strategic customers or those customers that have the potential to be um, really strategic. So the high end of the market. And then we further segment, just one thing to add there, vertically, because we have a third of Everbridge's business is healthcare, a third of its state and local government, and a third is kind of the corporate enterprise, thereabouts. So local government is very different, for example, than a you know, Fortune 100 financial services company, right? So we really try to segment vertically because those customers are so different and therefore their needs and the conversations are different. But again, as I said before, we try to have a consistent global way we do account management across all customers. It sounds like you guys have quite a focused AM strategy there, right? From kind of like experience to the customer type to the size of, uh, you know, kind of the size of the account that you're working on. Yeah, and, we, and we've, you know, I've been here for eight and a half years, and I've really been a, in a similar role. It's just gotten bigger and bigger as we've grown. Um, but I think we've worked really hard to um, ensure that the, 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 you know, whether it's the vertical or the size, our, all customers are really important to us. And all of them need attention, but there's different ways to give that attention to ensure that the customers are getting what they need out of Everbridge and they're getting um, you know, that they feel the love, but there's various ways that we kind of, um, drive that love, whether it be leveraging automation, um, as well as the personal touch of dedicated account management. Yeah. Well, and speaking of different types of attention, 
I'm curious, how has account management changed in the last few months, essentially since like March, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, uh, if it has at all, or maybe it's just, you know, more of the same. Yeah, I think it's been changing. Um, and actually, I love the buzz being published recently about retention being the new growth. <laughs> because, and especially in the SaaS world, I think that's really, really true. Uh, the more successful customers are with the solutions they initially buy, the more likely they're going to buy more, right? So that underscores the importance of the account management function of having dedicated teams who look after um, long-term customer relationships and making sure those teams are measured very clearly on keeping those customers. And, you know, also to make sure that team, the, there's a team that feels the pain if you lose a customer, if that customer cancels or downgrades, right? I think, and I think the world as it stands today and with the pandemic has made doubling down on a customer's success and the value that they get out of your solution in terms of a measurable ROI even more important. So I think now more than ever, the account management teams are having to step up and make sure customers are getting what they need of what they've bought from you. And I know uh, none of us have a crystal ball, but if you were to look into the future and make your guesstimate of what you think account management will look like maybe next year, you know, one year down the road, are there aspects of what your team is doing now um, or what you're seeing broadly in the account management uh, space that are really going to stick around for the long term? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we're all getting so used to Zoom now, you know, so I actually think that um, this pandemic and the, um, the environment we're in has given account management teams a really unique opportunity to connect better with their customers. And I think this isn't just account management, it's sales too, right? That all of us now, whether you're the seller, whether you're the person managing the account or whether you're the customer, we're all on a level playing field when it comes to this new normal of the world we're living in. So I think it's, you know, whether you're doing a call from your newly created office bedroom or your toddler's bed, Sheena, or, you know, dogs barking in the background or kids screaming, you know, it, it allows us to all connect on a more personal level. And I think that's the key to building long-term customer relationship is that it's not all about work. It's about getting to know your customers personally. And in this pandemic and everything, it's, it's a really unique opportunity to connect on the personal and professional challenges that we're kind of all going through at the same time. Exactly. And, and for me, it was all of the above. <laughs> for those who are listening, I am literally sitting on my toddler's uh, bed for this podcast interview, which is a first. You just said a second ago, MJ, about uh, relationship building, right? Yeah. I feel like if you look at any job description for an AM or anyone in post sales, it's like you have to be able to build relationships, right? Mm -hmm. But relationship is a really subjective word. So yeah. I'm curious, how do you define a truly successful client relationship? You know, it's a really good question. And we've, uh, we've put a lot of thought into this and trying to um, define it. <laughs> and it's really different even across our different customer set, sets. But actually in 2020 this year, we, uh, right at the beginning of the year, we, we literally built an Everbridge AM playbook um, for my team on, on, on what to do to make these customer relationships successful. And I literally will, for you, take a page out of that playbook <laughs> because we have a, you know, list of criteria. But I think first and foremost, like in the initial um, implementation of whatever that customer's buying, they need to be eager 
and kind of in it with you to meet that implementation timeline out of the gates. I think that you and the customer need to have a mutual understanding of the goals and expectations that the customer is trying to get out of your solution. And then they need to also like agree on an ongoing basis to come together and see how you're tracking against those goals and expectations. And I think that's really important for the long-term success of the relationship. And if you can document it and show, okay, every quarterly you're meeting with, with, an, with an account to do a review and talk about where you are against the timeline or where you are against their goals or what's working and what's not. If they're coming to the table with you regularly, I think that's you're on the track for a successful relationship. I think also making sure that there is an engaged executive sponsor that cares about your solution and might not be the person you're working with day to day, but that you're, um, that they know what's going on with the relationship. They're checking in with your user and your, you know, the people that really drive your system and that they care about the success too, and that you keep it top of mind for them. And ideally it's an executive sponsor that also has cross functional influence throughout the organization because they become your conduit or your path to hopefully trying to find more business. And then I think it goes to just overall how engaged are they with you, with your team and with the resources that you're putting out. And the, obviously the fact that, that they use your solution and, and especially in SaaS, right? Uh, customers need to be using it to to ensure the ROI because there's a lot of competitors that can come and unseat you, right? So you want to make sure that they're using it regularly, adopting the, the product, and it ties again to that value. And that they're, I think, just engaged with if you're putting out white papers or you're putting out webinars or they're, you know, subscribing to your newsletter, right? The more engaged they are with what you're doing to help them make success, them successful, I think is a, is a, the best indicator that they are going to be a successful customer for you for you for the long term so that's just some of the I, we literally have a checklist and we try to <laughs> it's really hard yeah. to do it across 5,000 customers but that's that's part of the kind of methodology we're trying to instill across everbridge account management to make it a consistent experience and to make sure we're checking the boxes to make all our customers successful and what's interesting is it sounds like you guys have a, you know, a direct approach, right? We're, we're building the relationship. There's specific checkpoints and people we want involved and we're, we're measuring engagement. Mm-hmm. But you also mentioned some somewhat indirect touch points, which are like customer marketing. So yes. you guys have like a customer marketing strategy and does your post sales team kind of work hand in hand with them? We, well, we didn't. And um, prior to 2020. And that was a big ask. We, we've had some management changes. We have a new chief revenue officer who really gets it and gets customer um, success and, and, and the fact that you can't sell more to customers unless they are successful with what you have. And you got to make sure that you're personalizing the experience that customers get, um, especially in the upsell um, campaigns to make sure you're not trying to sell them what they maybe already have. So we have just started to invest in customer marketing. Uh, we have a dedicated person who came from one of our acquisitions who's very passionate about it. And um, she's been really helpful with the campaigns that are, that are going into our customer base to help. And it's not just around upsell. It really is around nurture and getting the most of what you have to a little more subtly than do the upsell. So 
we are just starting there. We have so much runway to improve on that, but it is an area of focus that started this year and will absolutely continue into 2021 and beyond. Thanks for addressing that, MJ. I was actually personally very curious about that um, as we've been talking a lot more about that as well here internally. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for us now, it's super manual and we need to uh, figure out ways to leverage artificial intelligence and automation and just better systems that help kind of naturally serve up the um, the nurture campaigns as opposed to doing it kind of, it's been very, very heavy lifting, but we'll get there. Right. The, the scale piece. Yeah, of things. yeah. exactly. <laughs> so do you have any tips or recommendations of things that your account managers should not do? Perhaps you have some interesting stories of learnings around that front. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I think somebody, we learn something every day. And I think I always tell this to my team that, you know, there might be, because sometimes there are situations where a customer will say, you know, things get escalated to me, right? For whatever reason. And I always, I always say that those kind of the, the bad times as part of the marriage I talked about in the beginning helps typically the relationship get stronger. And I, I think there's always things an AM does wrong that end, ends up helping them to become a better account manager down the road. I think what not to do is to never, never try to ignore or put off a response to a customer, right? don't, I don't know, or I will get back to you, or I'm not sure, let me check, is a way better um, approach than letting a, an inquiry from a customer sit for more than a day, right? So I think responsiveness is absolutely the key. And I think naturally, sometimes people shy away from bad news, or if you don't have an answer, if that, or if that request for enhancement didn't get delivered in the latest release, like, you got to take it up front, right? And just deal with the pain. And it's way better to deal with it up front than to uh, try to put it off. So I think, I think what not to do is don't ever leave a customer hanging when they're waiting for something, even if it's just a, I got it and I'll get back to you in three days, right? I think being responsive. Um, I think, and I wish I had a very clear story, but you know, there has, there have been times when maybe an, a client has said, you know, I want to work with a different account manager. And I really try to push back on that and I'll get involved and I'll try to like bring the two together and say, <laughs> where are we missing? And, and I sometimes will say to the customer, let us learn better and let me keep X, Y, Z person on the account. Because I think that, that, you know, in knowing what they did wrong for you is going to make them even better at performing and delivering for you and executing for you. So, so we typically talk it through and it's very, very few and far between that I, that I change account managers because I do think customers, I think, you know, having me involved has helped, but I think many times if there's just been little tweaks that haven't been working in the relationship, taking it head, head on and learning how they can better work together ends up becoming a really strong partnership. So that's one of the things that I try to work on with customers. And sometimes it might be a personality, you know, clash or something, you, know, you never know. And I, it's not that I never do that, but, and we don't get that request a lot, but I think just for, for AMs to truly be upfront with their customers, to be, not be afraid to make mistakes, always honest, obviously always transparent and always communicating. That's probably the, the best advice for just account management 101. Well, if we're running with the marriage analogy, you get to play mediator a little bit, a little couples therapy. If you will, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which stay on the rails here. <laughs> uh, 
And, and you had a, uh, when we were prepping for this, MJ, you had a really specific approach for how you engage accounts, ensuring that yes. you get vertical, not verticals as in healthcare, et cetera, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, north and south. Can you share a little bit more about what, what you mean by that? And, and maybe it's another page from that playbook you mentioned. Yeah. So I think engaging accounts, I think the, um, the importance of never staying single threaded within an account. And this is from some sales training. I probably learned, you know, 15 years ago at one of, in one of my jobs, but I never for, had forgotten this. And it was the importance of what was called a three by three. And it's the importance of having three different contacts at three different levels of an org organization of the one customer that you're you're working with right so to build those multiple relationships with multiple levels of, of an organization to get your coaches and your champions and your technical users and even procurement because at the end of the day when you're trying to retain an account or there's a risk situation or you're looking for upsell and cross sell having those relationships to go back on is going to help you in the long run and, and I think people undervalue the relationship for example, with procurement, with the people that are sending the POs, the people that are signed the initial deal, right? Because they're the ones that can help you get more business done faster down the road. So I think never just being comfortable with your one person who's your user, because that person can change job, that person can get furloughed, as we're seeing in this environment. Um, that person can, you know, whatever change roles and then it's like starting from scratch so the more deep and wide your contact points and touch points are within the organization the much stickier you become as a partner for that for that for that um, customer and we try to drill into that really hard throughout my team time for the data breakout. In March of this year, Gainsight surveyed CEOs, CROs, and CCOs of late-stage private cloud companies, think Forbes Cloud 100, and publicly traded SaaS companies to hear how they expect the rest of 2020 to shake out. There were 12 takeaways from the full survey, and here are the three that resonated most based on our conversation with MJ. Not too surprising, but 37 of the 41 CXOs surveyed said preventing churn is very important compared to somewhat important and not very important. A trend that I think will stay once the economy bounces back. MJ discussed that she has playbooks based on verticals and personas, and it sounds like those are going to be especially helpful since survey respondents said they're wrestling with concession conversations. Something tells me customer success and account managers are going to elevate in status because of this recession and their importance in SaaS organizations will only continue to rise. You mentioned making friends with procurement. I could probably mm -hmm. ask you to come back on another episode just to describe how to do that because that, that can be challenging, right? Getting procurement on your side. Yeah. Um, do you have any maybe like how to's or tips for folks who are working with procurement, especially today when it might be a little bit more challenging? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, um, the tip for any building of relationship is connecting on a personal level, right? So even your procurement people that seem like <laughs> really mean sometimes. Um, just sometimes. You just sometimes. But I think, you know, making sure that every call starts out with how are you doing? And, you know, how are you dealing with your teaching your kids from home or whatever it is? I think just never forgetting that any role you're dealing with, whether it is procurement, whether it is the CRO, whether it is the CEO, whoever your most senior buyer is, that these are people. And connecting with people is probably the most important 
um, aspect of any customer facing job is like the connection piece first. So I think that's like, I think it's, don't forget that about procurement. And I think if for, for procurement, it's asking what they want to accomplish, right? And, you know, I don't think a procurement person would ever tell you out front that they're, you know, bonused on cutting, you know, X percent from the spend, but you probably know that they are, right? So, but I think trying to understand a little bit about what, what they're trying to accomplish maybe getting up front, like, let's try to, you know, let me know where you stand, like what you're trying to do. Let me tell you how far we can go and just get it out of the way, kind of the, the negotiation, just to know where you stand in that negotiation. But I think it's a little different on the account management side than I think on the sales side, because oftentimes that you're ingrained more and they know that you're a renewal that comes up every year. But I think just making sure you have that, you're respecting their role, you're learning what they're trying to accomplish and that you just are maintaining the relationship with them. Like if you're going to be on site, not that that happens now of a large, uh, of a large company and you've talked to a, a procurement person a couple of times, like ask them to meet you for coffee in the lobby, like just not forgetting at them as part of the um, touch point and, you know, the cog in the wheel of that customer relationship. Right. Yeah. Sometimes they take, they take pride in being challenging. And I think sometimes they also get put into kind of the bad guy, you know, position, even though they don't want to be right. They want to be part of the the solution, (laughs) trying to solve something. But a lot of times they can kind of get put into that stereotype. Absolutely. So we talked about procurement as one of the key personas. What about champions? How do you really know when you have a true champion? What are some of the characteristics for your AMs to decide that, yes, this is somebody who's on my side? Yeah, I think that ties a little bit about what we talked about before on what makes a customer relationship successful. And I think that your champion is going to be the person that steps up to the plate to collaborate with you and comes to the table in the beginning, right? Outlining the mutual goals and and expectations. And then the person that is making sure those goals and and, uh, expectations are met and are on track. I think a champion has a tolerance for mistakes if they happen, if there's a product issue, if there's an outage, if there's an, you know, RFE or enhancement that wasn't delivered. So they'll have a tolerance for that, but they'll expect it to be a kind of two-way street, right? So, um, and, you know, and I think they'll, they'll be very honest with you with what's working and what's not. And, but they'll come to you collaboratively to come up with a solution, right? So I think it's very, I don't think I'm articulating this very well, but I think that they, they just, they make it a two-way street and they allow you to challenge them and they'll challenge you. And I think that's also the, another important aspect of like a deep customer relationship is to not be afraid to challenge your customers on something they're not doing well with your solution or to challenge, like if they want to attack something a certain way, to maybe recommend why it's worked, you know, it's maybe trying a different way is better and you've seen it work with X, Y, and Z customers. Not necessarily in a, you know, combative way, but to suggest alternatives to help them get to their same, um, to their same goal. So not always being kind of a yes person to them, but challenging where, where needed. And I think a champion, you'll know you have a champion when they kind of allow you to challenge a little bit, respect and respect to that. And again, it's the fact that it's a two-way street. Mm, I love that. That's great. 
so for, for you and for the audience, revenue intelligence is really the concept of operating based on reality or based on data versus opinions. So I'm curious what metrics you track to determine success for your organization and if any of those have actually changed over the last few months. Okay. Yes. Um, so I, they haven't changed, although we're thinking about changing moving forward. So I think first and foremost, we've been laser focused on retention um, since I started eight and a half years ago. So gross retention has really been what I'm first and foremost and my team is first and foremost measured on. And again, we feel the pain if we lose customers. And that's a key part, I think, which I talked about earlier, of a really good AM organization is that, you know, you want to make it hurt if you lose customers and therefore your team does everything that in their power to keep those customers. So, but we also have a focus on net retention because that ties into the, obviously the growth that we're selling into the customer base and again, not losing them. So um, some new metrics that we've started to, to, to zero in on are more products per customer. And so that's an interesting data point that we're seeing, you know what, across our board, we have a ton of room for improvement there. So how do we get more products within the customer? And I think that ties to adoption and how your customers are adopting their initial deployment. So we're trying to figure out ways moving forward to better measure adoption, not just using it, like check the box, we, they accessed something, but how are they using it and how are they adopting it and how are they measuring value and how can we get better metrics and dashboards in place so that we, sh we, we can better show our customers the value they're getting. And then we also can better identify, uh, growth and even risk there, right? So we're trying to get much more prescriptive in mapping out for a customer what good adoption looks like and then helping them get there. Um, the other thing we started to implement last year that we're getting um, and we're going to continue is NPS. I mean, we were, we've been a pretty strong SaaS company and we just started doing NPS last year. Um, but that's an area that we're going to, we're going to continue because I think that gives you more real time. Okay. What's do, where are you doing well and where are you not doing well? And we want to continue that because I, I, I love the, you know, the, you get the data and the survey result there, but you also, we, our customers have been putting a lot of color when they, when they answer those surveys and it's really helped us on where we need to get better or where we're doing well. So, so I think, so to answer your question, our focus moving forward, I think it's never going to, it's never going to stray off of gross retention, but it's going to get much more um, focused on net retention and then ways to better measure adoption of our, of our, of the, of the deployments and the existing applications that our customers have, because that ultimately will help us sell more. The more they're adopting, the more they're using, the more happy they are, the more those customers will buy from us. I like that you, uh, you kind of said, hey, we, we measure what they measure, right? Mm -hmm. they, whatever they deem success, then we kind of respond to that. I'm curious if there's like a flip side of that, which are any maybe warning signs you look for, now, other than just like churn numbers going up, which we, don't, we want to avoid, but like kind of like the precursor to that, right? Like oh, yeah. things that kind of pop up or you guys put into place like, hey, if this happens, you let me know or, or we do this other play in our playbook. Yeah, and that's where we're definitely trying to get more automation and more um, 
you know, help with those dashboards for my team because it has been pretty manual, but we've, you know, we don't care about churn numbers. I need, I mean, I care about the churn numbers, but I care, I got to be in ahead of the churn, right? <laughs> we don't want them to churn. Mm -hmm. So right. our, I think they're pretty typical warning signs that we look for, reduced usage, obviously. Um, but the softer stuff is the less engagement with the folks that maybe we've been engaged with, or if they're not coming to the table to talk to us, right? Or if they're not agreeing to a quarterly business review. So when we get those warning signs that, and my team has been, and myself, we've gotten pretty, um, pretty uh, sensitive to it, right? That we, we want to dig in, right? So we, when we, when we get those warning signs, we're going to, we're going to be all over that customer. We're going to maybe use a different voice or a different title myself. Maybe I get involved to um, try to get the customer to, ta to the table, to have an honest conversation with them as to what's going on. Because customers don't like to, especially if they've, you've had a long-term relationship with them, they don't, they're not going to want to tell you bad news if their budget's getting cut or if they're getting a really interesting proposal from a competitor. They're not necessarily going to tell you that, right? Because they don't want to give you the bad news, especially if you do have a good relationship with them. So I think it's important to try to head it off at the pass and have a direct conversation about, okay, where do things stand and what can we do and what needs to happen and, and, and then take it from there. We have a, we have a success plan that we follow to or a get well plan for customers that are very at risk. And then we try to work in partnership with the customer to get them back on track. And is that pretty transparent with the customer? Like this yes. is this is the path and this oh, is yeah. where we have a gap. Yep. And and where, you know, and ideally we want them engaged with us, right? Yeah. And they coming to the table and let's help us build this uh, get well plan. And then let's meet every two weeks and see how we're tracking. And if it has to do with product enhancements or delays in the product and it's not going to come, we're going to tell them and we're going to say, okay, how important this is. And you know, I think it's all about transparency and communication and, and just being upfront and candid. And I think our customers really, really appreciate that. And I think it's also saying if this isn't going to work, then let's, you know, let's have an honest conversation about it and figure out how to get you to where you need to be, whether that's, you know, with us or without. It's kind of like a customer pip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you imagine that conversation. Bring it we're, we're actually putting you on PIP. We're letting you. We're putting you on notice. Yeah. <laughs> so MJ, I'm curious how your team prioritizes renewals versus cross sells and upsells because you have limited time of the day. You have a, a huge book of business. Mm -hmm. um, how does that prioritization happen? So we're my team first and foremost. It's all about growth. It's all about retention. And, and I mentioned our tagline, right? And our, our new chief revenue officer um, instituted this tagline when he joined last year. But I love it because it benefits uh, our team, and and I think it's our mantra. It's that's we want customers for life. So first and foremost, we prioritize retention because if customers are renewing and they're going and they're only going to renew if they're getting value out of what they have from us, right? So we got to double down and make sure they're getting that value and they're happy because you're not going to upsell them if they're not successful with what they initially bought. So first and foremost, our efforts are around retention. But then I have, you know, metrics and my team has a quota, same thing, right? So they, so first and foremost, it's retention, but they also have to get to their upsell quota. We also have um, 
measurement and kind of a quota in terms of new applications that they find, new opportunities for the cross-sell within customers that gets uh, referred back to the sales team. So think of it as my team still handles the upsell of you know more of what a customer already has. But if it's a new product or new application, sales comes back into play. So my team is is incented to kind of tee up those opportunities, which make it a, a very collaborative sales um, and account team focus for our customers, but also benefits the upside. But first and foremost, specific to my team, retention is our world. And again, that, that customer for life. Yes. <laughs> I love that customer for life. Uh, as we wrap up here, MJ, I'm curious if you have any advice for account management folks, whether you're you know, an IC or a leader, you know, what can they be focusing on today to help them finish 2020 on a high note? I think the focus needs to, and this is not going to surprise you, I don't think, but I think the focus should always be about the customer and helping the customer achieve what they're trying to, their goals or expectation, whatever they're trying to with your, your application. So I think to determine ways to show your customer that you want the best for them, right? And so your actions need to, to prove that. Um, and I think listening to them, doing what it takes to earn your role as a trusted advisor, being a real person to them, especially in this time of uncertainty and fear, right? That's what I said before. We're all connecting on the same level because we're all going through this. And I think not just diving into business conversations, but relating to them um, personally and understanding that, you know, sometimes you have to challenge your customers and not be afraid to do so to get them to where they need to be against their business goals. So I think just making it about them, connecting on a personal level, being resilient, right? You, you know, a lot of us are going to get bad news from customers in the next couple of months because a lot of our customers are going through some pretty challenging, right. some challenging situations. So just think the advice is making it about them, keeping it personal and just being resilient. And to tie it all together, one of our favorite questions is, how would you describe sales or account management in one word? I think ugh, I don't have a one word. Super rewarding. Oh, interesting. Ooh. We'll put a hyphen in there and count that as one word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just think it's like, you know, especially when you're in the right role with the right company, which I really feel I am. Like we are a very cool technology that serves a mission and a purpose. And like, we have the best customer relationships because we, it matters to them. And it's very rewarding when you can help a customer get to where they need to be with your solution. I love it. MJ, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I'm glad that we got connected. Awesome. Thank you guys. This was fun. Absolutely. Thanks, MJ. Is your marketing team supporting retention and upsell efforts? In talking to marketing teams over the past few months, many of the conversations centered around how marketing can shift some and sometimes all of their focus to keep clients engaged. And since MJ also mentioned it's a growing focus for her team, here are a few ideas that you can consider for your customer marketing efforts. First, you can launch a customer webinar series. Educational webinars that help your client base solve today's problems are well received and provide additional value aside from your product or solution. You can also try customer roundtable events. Gathering senior leaders to discuss their challenges and network is valuable insight for you and them. They get to hear from their peers and you get firsthand access to what your buyers really need. And that can guide your go-to-market strategy moving forward. And last, include customers in your current content marketing campaigns. 
Most marketing teams aren't doing this, but it's an easy win. The goal is to get your content in as many hands as possible. So remove the forms and let your clients consume the content that will help them solve today's problem. Remember, every value touch you can provide is a win. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.